As you're taking your seat, if you take a copy of God's Word and turn to Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah 14, we'll read the whole chapter this morning. Just a reminder, you can, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can find the passage in the, uh, the bulletin we hand out at the door. You can find it in the e-bulletin that's online. And, uh, and if you have a smartphone, you can find just about anything. True story. If I'm looking for a Bible verse and I'm like, it's the verse that says, but I can't think of the whole thing, Google works better than my fancy Bible software. So, um, but uh, I don't know what that means. But nonetheless, Isaiah 14, let's look now to God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They will take captive those who were their captors and rule over those who oppress them. When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon how the oppressor has ceased, the insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at you, the cedars of Lebanon saying, since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you, all who were leaders of the earth. It raises from their thrones all who were kings of the nations. All of them will answer and say to you, you too have become as weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you and worms are your covers. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you were cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb, but you were cast out away from your grave like a loathed branch clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land. You have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers, never born, be named. Prepare slaughter for his sons because of the guilt of their fathers, lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts, and will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants and posterity, declares the Lord. And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is sworn. As I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. 
that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains trample him underfoot, and his yoke shall depart from them and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? In the year that King Ahaz died came this oracle. Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you, that the rod that struck you is broken. For from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be a flying, fiery serpent. And the firstborn of the poor will graze, and the needy lie down in safety. But I will kill your root with famine, and your remnant it will slay. Wail, O gate, cry out, O city, melt in fear, O Philistia, all of you. For smoke comes out of the north, and there is no straggler in his ranks. What will one answer? The messengers of the nation. The Lord has founded Zion, and in her the afflicted of his people find refuge. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Let's ask his blessing now as we consider his word together. Let's pray. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, we come to you needing your truth, needing your light, needing your clarity about this world we live in, about who rules and reigns over it, and about what our place is. So Father, in this hour, show us our sin, show us our Savior, show us hope. We pray it all in Jesus' great name. Amen. Until the true enemy is defeated, there can be no rest for God's people. When the true enemy is defeated, there will be rest and rejoicing. That's what you see in Isaiah. And it's what, it, it, it makes me think of something Pat Riley said 20 years ago. Riley was a proud and successful coach. He'd already won four NBA titles as a coach, another as a player, by 1997, but he seemingly admitted defeat, surprisingly, when he got knocked out of the playoffs one year in his post-game press conference. He said, sometimes you can build a team that could be a championship team, but you never win because you had the misfortune of being born at the same time Michael Jordan was. I don't think anybody is going to win until Michael retires. I just don't. That's just the way it goes. There would be no rest or rejoicing for Pat Riley or the other NBA teams until Michael Jordan, public enemy number one, that's not a comment on his morality, until he retired. By the way, Riley was right. Nobody else won the NBA title until two seasons later when Jordan retired for the second time. As we said earlier, until the true enemy is defeated, there can be no rest for God's people. When the true enemy is defeated, there will be rest and rejoicing. Israel in the 8th century BC was not a global military power. God was disciplining her. They were not the Michael Jordans of their era. They were praying and waiting for their enemies to fall. But God, through the prophet Isaiah, said every enemy, even the ultimate enemy, would one day fall. And then there would be rest and rejoicing. You could also say it this way. When the true enemy meets the true end, the true purpose of God is revealed and the true people of God find their true home. That's the truth. All right.
all of our points today have the word true in them. Let's, let's get started. Number one, the true people of God. The true people of God, you see it in the first 11 verses. The true people of God come from every nation, not just Israel. And the true people of God are those who receive and rest upon God's blessings. How do we see that? Well, God promised that Babylon would fall, Isaiah 13, last week. That was a preview of the final day of the Lord. And Babylon represented Israel's both current and future rulers. So Israel may have wondered, are we just going to keep getting caught in the crossfire, withering away? God says no, Isaiah 14, no. God has made promises to Israel, promises to bless Promises to discipline if needed, but even that does not cancel the ultimate promise to bless. Look at verse 1. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. Notice his choice of Israel was not a one-time choice. He intended to choose them again to Keep on choosing them, some say. Choosing them through many dangers, toils, and snares, through exile, which God's people deserved. In fact, they deserve far worse. We all do. Through exile, God's choice would stand firm. His covenant promises would endure. And that, that covenant, it, it would come to embrace other nations as well. There's hints of this all over the Old Testament. This is one sojourners would come and be part of Israel. Sojourners, hard word to translate. Some scholars prefer immigrant or resident alien. Uh, my intention is not to use this phrase as a basis for a modern nation's philosophy of immigration or harboring refugees, important topics. The main point here is that God's people will include not just the nation of Israel, but people from other nations as well. The Israel of God, as Galatians 6 says, will be multinational. Heaven will be multinational. And in the meantime, our homes, our churches should reflect something of that. We should begin to be a preview of every tribe, tongue, and nation that will sing together in heaven. And what else do we see about the true people of God? Well, they're a victorious people, verse 2 says. They'll rule over those who once oppressed them, those who never repent and turn to Christ, who never do that, they will be defeated in the end. And again, the people of God, they are a resting people, a receiving people. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon how the oppressor has ceased, the insolent fury ceased. Taunt may be slightly too strong of a word. The, the song is a funeral lament in form, but Israel is rejoicing that her enemy is defeated. More on that in a moment. But when do they take up this song? Did you notice that? It says, when the Lord has given you rest from pain and turmoil, he has given it to them. You know, when we receive or accept new members into our church, we ask them, membership vow number two, we ask them this, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ 
as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered in the gospel? Notice that wording. We don't say, what did you do? We don't say, how did you achieve the status of Christian? We don't say, prove to us that you're good enough. No, it's prove to us that you're bad enough, that you're needy enough. The true people of God know that they have received a gift that Christ has earned. They rest upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. Just as Israel was supposed to rest upon God's promised victory. The true people of God or anyone from anywhere who have rested upon Christ, who receive Christ, who say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. This is not a class about great hymns of the faith. I'm not sure I'm qualified to teach that, but it occurred to me as I looked at the first lines of this hymn, as I was thinking about it this week, the words, the first words of every line, nothing, simply, naked, helpless, foul, wash, wash me. But before the true people of God sing the victory song, they first need to sing what you might call the redemption song or the reception song, what they have received about God's undeserved grace that they have received that allows them to rest in what He has already done, allows them to rest and stop trying to earn their undeserved salvation that Christ has already accomplished. Do you need that rest? Come to Christ and find it. And talk to one of your elders or pastors or whomever you can find. Find one of the true people of God who embody this rest. The true people of God are a resting, receiving people. And they have an enemy, which we'll see next. Our second point this morning, the true enemy of God's people. The true enemy of God's people in verses 3 through 20. Who's the true enemy of God's people? And is he mentioned in this passage? Stay tuned, but the true enemy always grasps for power instead of receiving and resting upon God's provision. In verse 4, God's people are singing their ironic funeral lament, the praise song about the fall of the king of Babylon. Which king are we talking about? One author says it stands not just for the king of Babylon, his fall, but for all who embody the spirit of Babylon. God's people will rejoice when the Lord breaks the staff of the wicked, the wicked or the guilty, because their fury is done, as verse 4 says. Their staff, their scepter is broken, verse 5. And then now the earth rests, verse 7. The trees even rejoice because the army won't be chopping them down. And verses 9 and following show us a picture of Sheol. That doesn't mean hell. It means more like the place of the dead. It's kind of like saying the grave, six feet under. And once the king is dead, it pictures all of the other dead kings saying, you are dead too. Look at you. You're not mighty anymore. And then in verse 12, things really get interesting. 
Who does this sound like to you? Verses 12 through 15. How you were fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Who do you picture? You picture Satan. That's what I thought over the years reading this passage. Scholars I read this week said, no, no, it's, it's not Satan, not exactly. However, that reminds me of what Kaiser Sose once said. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Nonetheless, is this describing Satan here? His fall from heaven. Even those who say no and say that, no, this is the king of Babylon. They say it this way. Quote, the king of Babylon here, like Babylon itself in chapter 13, is a representative figure, the embodiment of that worldly arrogance that defies God, tramples on others in its lust for power. Arrogance or self-deification, thinking that you are God, the idea of I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. Again, are we describing Satan or someone else? Well, Derek Thomas says it this way. Despite the fact that Satan is not referred to specifically in this verse, his shadow lies behind this passage. The actual reference is to the king of Babylon and his self-deification. But in this, he proves to be a type of Satan who is by nature anti-Christ. The king of Babylon is, if you will, a small a antichrist. Self-obsessed, self-promoting, as verses 13 through 15 say. Self-deifying, calling himself God. Using titles like day star or morning star that rightly belong to Christ alone. Titles like most high. So fine, if you want to say Satan isn't mentioned here. You might be technically right, but you might be missing the point too. The point is that his shadow is all over this passage, lingering behind the king of Babylon's pride and self-exaltation. And just like the king, Satan, the true enemy of God's people, will one day fall. His fall, the king's fall, will be so great, people will ask, is that him? The, the, the great one who ruled over and his disgraceful fall will culminate with no burial, no honor, no dignity, verses 18 through 20 say. In the midst of all this, God's people will sing. Does that feel strange? Barry Webb says this, This is no cheap gloating over the downfall of an enemy, but the satisfaction and delight which God's people rightly feel at the final victory over evil. This is, again, this is talking about one enemy who represents all enemies of God, including the true and ultimate enemy. It's about one enemy who represents all enemies, who have the same spirit as that enemy. So we should not be afraid to ask as we read this, am I like that enemy in any way? Am I filled with pride? Do I think that I know better than God? Do I think I don't need God? 
that I am mighty and powerful. I am fine on my own. In the words of someone else, do I arrogantly defy God or trample on others in a lust for power? And if so, why? Why do I do that? Am I not content to rest in God's provision? Am I not content to say nothing in my hands I bring? Do I not trust that he can fill me up time and time again? Do I not trust that he can make my cup overflow? Are you one of God's true people? Or are you a stealth enemy of God's people? But again, the true enemy and all those like him will one day fall That leads to our next point. Thirdly, the true end of the enemy. The true end of the enemy. Verses 20 to 23, this one's short. We've identified the true enemy of God's people. It's one who grasps for power, who defies God, tramples on others along the way. How will his story end? Not with unlimited growth, verse 21 says. No, he'll be cut off. They, they won't have a remnant, unlike God's people, verse 22. Their city is described this way in verse 23. God says, And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. Hedgehog could also be translated owl. The point in either version is that the land will be uninhabitable. Only wild animals, not humans. That was and is true of Babylon years after this was written. See, it's important to know who the enemy is. It's also important to know that the enemy will one day come to an end. A true end, not not a false one, not a cliffhanger for a TV show. Yes, the spirit of Babylon, as we've said, would live on for a while. But at some point, Babylon will no longer be like Freddy Krueger or Jason or Emperor Palpatine. Unlike Jesus, they will stay dead. They will not rise again. The enemies of God will have a true end. And that's because of our next point, the true purpose of God. Fourthly, the true purpose of God. Verses 24 to 27. When you hear purpose, think plan. Think of a plan that will definitely come together. See, God does not need a plan B. Before I read this one historical note, Babylon was the most important city of Assyria, the seed of the next mighty empire which would defeat Assyria. We just dealt with Babylon's fall. Now we see an oracle about Assyria's fall, the nation that is currently harassing Israel, as Isaiah said all this. And as we read about this, the big bad bully of the ancient Near East, notice how many times God mentions the word purpose plan. Verse 24, we'll read this whole section. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrians in my land, and on my mountains trample him underfoot, and his yoke shall depart from them, and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? His purpose or his plan is what determines history. And part of that purpose involves God's hand 
stretched out against Assyria. Do you remember in Isaiah 9 and 10? Do you remember how a similar phrase was repeated four times there? It says, for all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Back then, several chapters ago, it was talking about God's anger against Israel, his rebellious people, how God was pleading with Israel to turn from their sin and stupidity which was destroying them. As if he was saying, my hand is stretched out. I'm going to have to do this because I am a holy God who cannot dwell with sinners. I must punish your sin. I must send Assyria to punish you, discipline you, unless you repent. But now what is he saying? He is saying, my purpose involves your discipline, yes, but it also involves the destruction of Assyria, your enemy. My hand is also stretched out against them. I see their evil, their warmongering, their lust for power and blood, but they are only as mighty as I allow them to be. My hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? As Dale taught us last week, that's a rhetorical question. You aren't supposed to answer that one, because no one can turn back God's hand. No one can beat God in arm wrestling. No one can outsmart or outflank God's plan. Do you remember Pat Riley, whom I mentioned at the beginning? Riley essentially said, no one will win at basketball unless Michael Jordan lets them by retiring, by stepping aside. God is telling Israel, no one wins at war unless I let them. But I won't let your enemies win Forever. My purpose, my plan will stand. That is, of course, because God has a plan for his people, a covenant, a promise which will come to pass because God cannot lie and because no one can stop his purpose from coming to pass. So one day God will bring his people home, which leads to our last point. Number five, the true home for the wandering. The true home for the wandering. Verses 28 to 32. No Simon and Garfunkel references this time. At least one member might appreciate that. Philistia or any other nation was not Israel's home. and She was not Israel's hope. Her hope was in the Lord who provides a true home for the wandering. First, a bit more history, context here. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. That's Isaiah 6. In the year that King Ahaz died, as verse 28 says, Isaiah saw unrest. The year was 715 B.C. Historical records, as well as hints in this passage, tell us this. Philistia rebelled against Assyria, the big boss man in the whole region. And they asked Judah, Israel, to join them, verse 32. They might have even done it during a funeral visitation. Something like this. Oh, Hezekiah, so sorry to hear about your father, the king. Hasn't it been a tough year, especially with Assyria's tactics? Aren't you sick of them? Speaking of which, we're going to rebel against Assyria. Do you want to make an alliance with us? The word alliance Makes you think of either college football or Dwight Schrute, if you're like me. But 
what's happening here in 715 BC. This is what's going on, best we can tell. Israel was tempted to seek protection and security in the arms of another nation. As if God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies, was too weak to protect them. Now, thankfully, King Hezekiah listened to Isaiah and his words. He, he trusted God more than he trusted Philistia. And so, at the end, Israel was spared, and Assyria was the slingshot that struck down the Philistines. Just like Isaiah said, verse 29. Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you, that the rod that struck you is broken, for from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be a flying, fiery serpent. Assyria was the rod that struck Philistia. They were already suppressing one rebellion, and they just went ahead and crushed Philistia anyway. And then verse 30, 31 repeats that note. Philistia has no hope. They will be crushed. This other God that Israel almost trusted, this other source of protection and security, oh, she was crushed. And in between these judgment oracles of foreign nations, God sprinkles in little bits of hope for his people. The beginning of verse 30, and the firstborn of the poor will graze, and the needy lie down in safety. That's not going to happen in Philistia based on everything else that is said in this passage. And so where will it happen? Verse 32, What will one answer the messengers of the nation? The Lord has founded Zion, and in her the afflicted of his people find refuge. In the year of unfaithful Ahaz's death, God reminds Israel that his promise still stands. The, the dynasty of David is still in effect. God's people will still dwell in the promised land. The weary and the wandering will still find rest and refuge in Zion. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say we're canceling the exile. Just kidding. No, no. For, foreign nations will still come and defeat Israel and take her people away from her homeland. It has already started and it will happen and they deserved it all and more. But on the other side of the exile, God is still promising hope for the poor, the needy, the afflicted, promising safety, promising refuge to those who know they need it. It makes me think of two different Psalms, both of them written by David. Psalm 22, verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Or Psalm 51 verse 17, composed at one of the lower moments of David's life on the heels of a horrible failure. David says, Psalm 51 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. You ever feel so weary, so lost, you wonder if God will ever welcome you home? Must be how the prodigal son felt. Maybe it's how Israel felt. Messed up so badly, it lost the promised land. How could we do this? Does God just despise our very existence? Is there any way that he will still listen to us, that still hear our prayers? 
And yes, there is. Because he does not despise the broken in contrite heart. The heart that knows how bad it is messed up. God doesn't say, get out of my sight. No, he says, come. Let me clean you. Let me put you back together. Let me restore your soul. I've used this quote before. Samuel Chadwick once wrote, it is a wonder what God can do with a broken heart when he gets all the pieces. That's what the true home for the wandering looks like, the refuge for the afflicted in Zion. Now, for Israel, this was literally about their land, their homeland. That's what they understood at the time. But it was also about what the land represented, peace, prosperity, acceptance, security. They could be themselves who God called them to be without fearing an attack. Isn't isn't that what we all truly want? To be what God intended for us to be with safety, with love, with care. As we work out all of the mess, as the afflicted heal, as the poor are restored. What does that look like for us in 2021? What does it look like for Zion, God's people, to be a refuge for the afflicted and downtrodden in 2021? I daydreamed a bit this week. I wrote a few things down like this. It's a true home where all of our messiness comes to dwell until it gets resolved. It's a true home where an entire church can get to know each other again. Where lonely people can come together to let their loneliness fade away. You see, if you're new at Forest Gate, I have a secret for you. You're not the only one who's trying to get to know people right now. See, it's not because you're new. It's because the last year plus has been unprecedented. I know you're all sick of that word, but it's still true. Our way of life was interrupted. Some of our relationships were interrupted, but life itself goes on. And we're in this together. And we need each other. And we need to get to know each other. And we need to be patient and let that happen. There are no perfect churches, not on this side of heaven. We will not have perfect fellowship We will not be the perfect church home, not this year, not next, not unless Jesus comes back, not until he comes back. And in the meantime, we pray that God God might give his people a little taste of heaven on earth, a little taste of our true home as his spirit moves and works within his people. We still await the enemy's final defeat. We still await our true and final return from exile. And in the meantime, we rest in this hope that when the true enemy meets the true end, the true purpose of God is revealed and the true people of God find their true home. We're not home, not yet. But when we get there, we will rest, we will rejoice like never before. Let's pray. God, you are good. What you do is good. God, would you be good to us, your people? Not because we deserve it, not because we promise to try hard, but because we rest and receive in what Christ has done for unworthy sinners such as us. Unworthy, but grateful. That is who we are. That's who we strive to be. 
Father, be with us. Bless us for Jesus' sake. We ask it all in his great name. Amen.